you, we got to realize that everybody else is, you know, the Grant Cardones of the world, the really big names that are, you know, a lot, they got to get a lot of airtime press. They all started from something with nothing, right? They all started in a similar position where they had limited education, limited relationships, limited financial acumen, et cetera. Everybody started from a similar place as we are. And you got to ask yourself, I love the phrase, why not you or why not me? And, and really think about why is it that are, are these guys so elitely qualified, Harvard backgrounds? No. They're not. They're people like you and I that just overcame their fear, right? Through maybe through education, a little bit of action and balancing it with, you know, filling their gaps with, with partnerships and relationships. That's it. I mean, and it's really just taking that first step, the second step, third step, keeping the steps moving, even in spite of failure. Again, back to the Goggins thing. There's nothing that gets in the guy's way. I mean, we'll never get to, we'll probably never get to that level, but just being able to apply 10, 20% of his mindset where it's like, I'm charging forward. I know I, I have a lot of shortcomings, but I'm willing to work to overcome those and just keep taking action and adjusting. That's that's it, man. That's that's the key. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be joined by Andrew Shutsky today of Redline Equity. You're going to learn today about living with the imposter syndrome and catapulting yourself beyond fear into scale as a real estate investor. That's what today's episode is all about. You're also going to learn about how a chief information officer has leveraged his own background and experience into growth as a real estate investor, what that can mean for you in terms of the way that you leverage your background and experience, whether personally, or professionally, into growth as a real estate investor. There's a lot to be learned from today's episode. I want to encourage you to buckle up. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. We are absolutely going to do that. And I want to encourage you, if you have not done so already, to give us a rating, review, subscribe or follow Elevate Podcasts on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. By the way, we're going to continue to bring massive value. We'd love for you to stick around. And if it's your first time listening to Elevate, welcome. We are ready to pour into your cup. We are ready to add massive value to you today and your time and attention is very important and valuable, you know, not only to us, but obviously to you. And so we just want to thank you for taking some time out of your day. And I want to encourage you, whether it's your first time or 300th time listening to Elevate, pay it forward, share this episode. That is the fee. All you have to do is share this episode with one person. If you've already done that in the past, we thank you for paying the fee prior. And we just ask that you pay the fee again today, because guess what? Otherwise, this is 100% free. And the only way that we can continue to grow is if we earn the value of your introductions, just like any other business. If you can share this episode with just one person, that means the world to me, that means the world to us and our team. And so I just want to thank you for that in advance. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to Andrew Shutsky, who is the founder of Redline Equity, real estate syndication firms specializing in the acquisition, improvement, and management of large apartment buildings. He also has over 15 years of real estate rental experience, beginning with a house hack of his first home, which you'll hear about and also in the multifamily investment space, Andrew is currently active as both a general partner and limited partner and has ownership in over 1,300 units. Redline Equity currently manages properties in three different markets with over 70 million under management. 
He's also the host of the Crushing Cash Flow podcast, which interviews investors of all stages of their journeys to tell their stories of successes and failures. Additionally, Andrew currently works in the technology space as a chief information officer for a medical technology business based out of Pennsylvania. He holds a bachelor's degree in information systems from Drexel University in Philadelphia. Andrew lives in Thornton, Pennsylvania with his beautiful wife, Jody, and two fantastic children, Aiden and Jacqueline. And you're going to hear the vibe because he's uh, he's got some exciting stuff going on this weekend. But you're also going to hear that Friday morning energy vibe. So I want to set that intention that we're feeling that through this entire conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy this fun and impactful conversation with Andrew Shutsky. Andrew Shutsky, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How you doing? Doing fantastic, sir, on this Friday. How about you? I'm doing great, man. It was funny. We were, as we were getting started, I mean, like you're bringing the vibes this morning, going to the Philly game on Sunday. We got like some potential Super Bowl aspirations there. Yes. I'm like coming in here like a bat out of hell this morning. I was like, you know, because I actually just moved the podcast studio to our main office. I was doing the podcast from home and I got in like one minute, you know, spare time. So I'm thinking like things are going to be moving smoothly today. And I'm excited about our conversation, man. What's what's new in your world? Like I said, the, the game on Sunday is top of mind. Really high expectations for the birds, but also got to temper your expectations for reality. You know, there's a lot of disappointment out there in the NFL, but really excited for the game this Sunday. But a lot, a lot else going on personally and professionally. We'll expand on that in a minute. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I just I love the energy of sort of that excitement, the hope, you know, there's there's a lot to be said about that. But let's talk a little bit about you while we dive into this conversation, because not only is it going to be fun, you know, we're going to bring that energy, but there's going to be a lot to learn from today's conversation. So why don't we start with your upbringing, your backstory? Tell us a little bit about sort of where you came from, what life was like growing up and, and so on and so forth. So, you, you know, it's funny, my traditional approach to this is to kind of start from the early days forward. I want to do it backward today. I'll start from the present and then kind of back into the start, which I think might be more interesting, a little bit different, right? So who am I? I am a father of two, most importantly, a devoted husband. And for the purpose of this show, a very, very passionate real estate investor, both in the multifamily space, commercial side, as well as short-term investments or short-term rentals. I also uh, run a IT organization for a medical device company, just under a billion dollars our company. So uh, really passionate about technology and how we apply that. And then you'll find some parallels as, as we talk between, you know, kind of my day job as CIO and in my investing profile with the multifamily space. So how did I get here? You know, just under 2000 units under management now, uh, working the full-time job with the family. How, how the heck did I get here? So I've, I would say I've always been passionate about real estate from the early days. You know, it, it was kind of part of the family. My grandfather did a lot of development work, uh, single family communities, restaurants, even had his share of quadplexes, et cetera, for the time. So honestly, at that time, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was interested. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Never was that serious about it until I started working full time and realized that, like, wow, I have the ability to. I, I started with a house hack back in 2007, I think it was. And that's when it kind of opened my eyes. It was a really, really small step at that point, single family uh, rental. I was working and consulting on the on the road. I was on the road 50 weeks a year at that point and put out a Craigslist ad. I know I'm dating myself now. I know Craigslist is still out there, but who the hell uses that anymore? No one really, right? I tell you what, man, it is it is a dark area. I mean, I've put some stuff on Craigslist over the past couple of years and it's, it is, man, you get the woodwork, uh, people coming out of the woodwork on Craigslist. There's no doubt about it. Or you get nothing. Like I feel like it used to be, you at least used to get scammers in there. Now it's nothing. So it feels like it was like all scammers. So then, yes. you know, I was advised by my younger colleagues that, hey, you know, Facebook Marketplace is probably a more appropriate <laughs> sale type. It I mean, really I was selling is. like furniture or something. 
It re- the scammers seem to pick up on that as well. Oh, is that right? Lesson learned, if you're looking to place even housing ads, Craigslist is not the place today. There's lots of other places. Facebook Marketplace is one of the better for if you just have a single room or, or two to, to go out there. Anyway. Misconnections. Have you heard of misconnections on uh, on Craigslist? Have you heard no, about this? No. Oh. I'll divert us and then we're going to go back to your story. But yes, I was walking my dog 10 years ago, literally. And one of my friends, and he probably is listening to this. He's a therapist. One of his clients was talking about misconnections because it was somebody that he met or something and was trying to find him on misconnections. So then my friend goes on Craigslist and he looks it up and he's like, what is misconnections? He'd never heard of it. And then all of a sudden it was some woman was saying, oh, I met you recently and you're walking your dog, Bruno. And he's like, wait a minute. That's my friend because my friend has a dog named Bruno. And he sends me this thing. It's like the most random. So anyway, I've thought about this misconnections anyway. So we are totally going way off topic, but it is so funny to think about. But anyway, please continue on your Craigslist experience. No, all good. Now that you say that, I do remember that it was probably a long time ago, but I I just wonder like, are people just randomly perusing these things on on a daily basis? Is that part of their habit? Like, how do you make that connection on the misconnection? I know (laughs) it's got to be so random. Hilarious. Anyway. So yeah, I'll I'll wrap up quickly here. So back in 2007, house hacked, quickly lit a spark in my brain that ignited probably a passion and interest earlier in life. That kind of spiraled into thinking I was going to go down the single family route and multiply that with condos and single family. About six, seven years later, got into the short terminal space and the vacation side of things at the shore in Jersey here, was looking to replicate that. Kind of got frustrated by a lack of capital and just the monumental effort it takes to get each property off the ground. And it led me to an article in Bigger Pockets in the better part of 2020 for amidst the COVID, uh, where I found a 60, 70 page thread of a multifamily syndicator who was explaining his thought process in, in a high level of detail and his success. And man, that got me going. And I probably from there, 30, 40, 50 plus books later, hundreds of podcasts. And uh, here we are. Man, so all right, so we got to go back and probe a little bit here. So let's do it. 2007, there was a house hack. And then from there, it was really just kind of growing. Talk to me about the growth from 2007 forward, just a little bit in a little bit more detail. Yeah. So, I mean, the spark there originally was, I wasn't even thinking about scaling to hundreds of properties at that point. I was just thinking, oh, this is a great way to offset my personal rent or would be rent liability and just being able to live for either free or close to free. And then it got me thinking, I did a lot of traveling. So I had a lot of time to think on the plane and everything like that every week. Got me thinking like, wow, maybe this could be a income replacement someday. So then I started to look for additional single family properties and putting, was putting offers in, et cetera. But also same constraint I mentioned on the single family side that you may meet, need hundreds of thousands of dollars to close. And as a 23, 24 year old, you're not going quickly, right? It wasn't until, like I said, several years later, I was really thinking about 10xing that in terms of passive income, et cetera, which again, led me to the multifamily side. I wish I had found it sooner, like everybody else probably said, especially in the, seemed like the sweet spot was like 2016 to 2018 when everybody was exiting those properties the last couple of years and been making a ton. Uh, that would have been the sweet spot. But again, I'm happy to be here today. Yeah. It's a long game. No doubt about yes, it. Yes, it is. Okay. And so then in 2020, you learned about this concept called syndication. And it seems like you kind of dove all in and you really scaled sort of that side of things. I do want to talk about sort of balancing that with your executive career and so forth. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we continue. But talk to me about that. I mean, 2020, you kind of dove into this 70 page article and you're like, wow, aha, I can actually scale without, you know, really having to put so much of my own resources. I can offer opportunities for others. So talk to me about what that actually looked like from learning that to action. 
So you hit the key words. I'm told that I don't know how to do things without going all in, which is, is a good thing, but it's also, you know, it, I become tunnel visions and single focus, which much to my family's demise sometimes. So that's absolutely what happens. So once a spark is there, once I see the path is there, it's all about education, relationships, connections, and taking action, right? And not every action will lead to exactly where you want it to be, but that's exactly what happened. I actually hooked up with a, a local syndicator, joined as my as limited partner in my first investment, just to learn the ropes. I said, hey man, first I asked him if, you know, would you be open to mentoring? And he's like, hey, not right now, but you know, I should have some deals coming down the line and you can at least shadow me to see how that, that process goes. So I did that. I wound up investing in it. Uh, it went well. And I was kind of reading behind the, the scenes of like what, what it was going to look like before I wanted to raise money for my own deal or find my own deal. I wanted to live in the shoes of a passive investor to see what the experience would be like. What did I like about it? I mean, the communication aspects or not. Uh, what did I not like about it? What would I improve? And what would be my style for running a property? How I communicate to investors? I wanted to see that through the eyes of a passive investor doing it myself first. And that's exactly what I did. And I'm glad I did that because there's so much you can learn through books which is really great. Podcasts are really great. There's nothing like firsthand experience, uh, the pros and the cons, the learnings, the blessings, all that stuff coming together. What did you learn? I mean, being a passive investor in the beginning, I mean, was there anything that surprised you or maybe, maybe nothing surprised you? Maybe it was exactly what you expected, but what did you learn in that first experience? as an LP. You know, it's funny when you, when you read these books, uh, you listen to podcasts, there's a lot of spotlighting on the glamorous part of it. What I learned is there's an ugly side too, right? There's a lot of lessons learned. There's a lot of work that goes into getting a property ready and collecting debt on evictions, on, you know, fires and floods and issues that happen in the property. There's not as much that of disgust, right? The asset management part of it, it you got to live through the life of it, right? Unfortunately, the, the GP that I hooked up with at the time was transparent about what was going on. And I would always ask more like probing questions about like, how did you handle the situation? And just like I do in the, in the day job and the, on the IT side of things, right? Like when you shadow someone, the biggest benefit there is being able to ask the questions. If you don't do that, you're missing out on a huge opportunity, right? Because they're never going to give you the full level of detail unless the interest is there. So being able to probe and ask those questions was huge for me and helped shape how I do my investor reporting today. I love that. You know, one thing I'll say is, you know, we talk about this a lot with our investors or potential investors is, look, you can learn as much or as little as you want. You can be as involved or, you know, as really hands-on and really sort of immersed in this process as much as you want or as little as you want. And we have people from all ends of the spectrum, people that ask us questions about, hey, you know, talk to me a little bit about this P&L and tell me about this line item and what are we doing in terms of CapEx here and what kind of adjustments are we actually making? And, you know, give me a sense of how that conversation's going with the property manager and with the asset manager and all of these different things. And, you know, to me, it's, it's interesting because you can see that learning taking shape in real time. But then you have other people. It's like, look, I'm a passive investor. Like, I trust you guys. Yes, I want to know that you are handling business. But at the end of the day, I don't have time. And that's why I'm a passive investor. So if you were to go back to sort of some of the questions or the topics that you were asking or probing on that really sort of supported your learning, I mean, what would those be? Or, or is there anything that really sticks out or, or any sort of general concepts or topics? You know, I think beyond just the general property performance questions you get into on a weekly or biweekly or even monthly basis with the property manager, I think the the biggest ways I've learned was by talking to other GPs and asking some unique questions. We actually, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, we had a GP call one of our properties. It was actually the first quarterly call we had as a team. It was a huge, huge team. I don't know. There was like 17 of us as GPs on this. It was a huge deal, right? It was like 300 units, 35 plus million dollars, lots of people leaning in, different roles. What stood out to me, and I know I'm kind of roundabout answering your question here, but 
What was awesome about that call is there must have been 200 years of experience in this call. So you can learn a lot by asking, you know, property performance, drilling in on delinquency, drilling in on renovations, all the standard stuff. I think everybody's listening has already heard that stuff. What I thought was awesome on this call, and I think the benefit of having a somewhat larger team with lots of experience versus a, a smaller property with less people is we were getting really creative with solutions. For example, we had an issue with delinquency. We continue to have an issue with delinquency. And the, the brainstorming that came out of that call was phenomenal, right? Like some guy brought up a program. I want to, I'm going to say it was called Rhino or something like that, where I'm yes, we have Rhino on a couple properties and it's actually, it blows my mind, but go ahead. So I had never heard of it. The most experienced guy in the call had never heard of it, but it was, that's the type of stuff. What for just to explain what that is real quick, we have an issue with delinquency. There is a program that tenants can qualify for. They pay an upfront fee, I believe. And then a monthly, it's like $9 or something. To, you know, it's variable, variable rate where they can pretty much get protection against not only the security deposit damage against the property, but also delinquency and being late on rent, late fees. And also, uh, I guess, I guess protection against eviction and late payments. It was almost too good to be true. And then we started looking into it. I'm like, wow, people were actually using this. So that was one great example. Can I make a quick comment on Rhino? So we inherited this program on a couple of properties that we acquired last year. And we looked into it and we're like, what do you mean we get that much money from this, you know, resident who we had to evict? Because it was like way in excess of what a deposit would have been. And they paid very low in terms of their ongoing rate. And so it was like a win-win for all parties. And I'm like, how does Rhino make any money here? And we looked into it and we were like, well, I mean, that's their problem. It doesn't matter to me. But from what I understand, I believe that they may be restructuring because I think they've been losing significant money. <laughs> so, but anyway, just for a caveat for the listeners, if they care. Yeah, that's, that's a great tip. I mean, even if you get, again, if you take one or two things out of the way of these podcasts, like if you pick up just that thing, that's a valuable use of 45 minutes for sure, right? That's These are awesome things. Another one that came up, like we're, we have an affordable housing property and we're having difficulty getting tenants to fill out the rental assistance paperwork. It should be a no brainer, right? Like you're getting potentially free money from the government or, you know, whatever is loan money, depending on the program. They just weren't filling them out. One guy's like, why don't we give away Amazon gift cards to fill out the application, right? Like really simple, you know, 50, I think it was like $25, instantly got like 20 people to apply. Wow, that's great. And, and that helps hugely, like little things like that, that people are like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? In today's day and age, especially with not only winning properties, but operating them effectively and efficiently with whether it's structuring debt or asset management or debt collection, whatever it may be, the power of having a experienced GP team is way better than a book or a podcast. I mean, they're great, right? Don't get me wrong. But like I said, putting it into practice has been phenomenal and just being able to tap into those minds and everybody just being so collaborative versus other properties have been on where it's like everybody just stays in their, their hole until something bubbles up. Like I'd much prefer to rather be in a collaborative group like that. It's just huge beneficial. I totally agree. And a couple, couple comments. So in this business, it's filled with problems, right? There's problems everywhere, problems around that corner, problems around that corner, you know, another problem that we never would have expected here it is, but for every problem, there is a solution. And once you realize that there's it changes the game and it's not about resources, but it is about resourcefulness and resourcefulness means thinking creatively, brainstorming, asking questions. Well, why aren't we getting anybody to fill out these forms? It's like, it seems pretty straightforward to me. Why are they not doing it? Well, well, maybe they're, maybe we need to incentivize them. Maybe we need to encourage them to take a few moments beyond what we think is pretty practical and reasonable for them to fill out this form. I love that. I mean, what else would you say in terms of resourcefulness or creativity to find the solution to problems as a general partnership? 
You know, again, there's there's different avenues for this. Another tool that I use a lot is Bigger Pockets. As, as if not, I think most listeners have heard of that, and I I feel like I forget that it's there sometimes. I might just wind up googling, but ultimately posting a new thread on there. There's Facebook groups out there um, that you may be part of, mastermind groups or asset management groups, or I mean, there's hundreds of them out there. Facebook groups have been awesome for me. You know, probably less so like Instagram, LinkedIn, those sources, but bigger pockets is a forum. Reddit has been more popular recently. Those the, I mean, bigger pockets has been phenomenal. So there, there are a couple, a couple out there aside from just your regular, you know, mastermind online meeting groups. Uh, there's some tools that have worked really well. So in terms of that first investment, the LP, the first syndication investment from the LP to then scaling sort of your portfolio. I mean, talk to me about that trajectory. Was it after the first deal, a few months later, you went out and did your own or talk to me about that? Yeah, I was inspired, right? So, you know, right after I had made that investment, I think it was after I'd seen my maybe first or second monthly report. I was I already been looking. I, I just honestly, number one, I was fearful because I had never done as a general partner. So there's a huge learning curve to overcome. And just quite honestly, just a lot of fear to overcome doing your first deal. So I started networking my face off bigger pockets, again, uh, meeting a lot of people on there, joining every meetup event I could. And honestly, you know, looking back, maybe I, maybe I overdid it a little bit it was just meeting, you know, I'll call it speed dating dozens of people every week. And it was a lot of time committed. And, you know, in hindsight, maybe some of that was wasted, but you know what, like you're going to, it's, I like the card flipping analogy. Like you're going to meet somebody you might flip a two or a four, but you flip enough cards, you're going to flip that Jack King, the ACE, the Joker, you know, you'll get to the quality connections. Right. And that's, it's a numbers game, right? It's, I'm a big statistics guy. Like statistically, the more cards you flip, the more likelihood finding the right match for you. So ultimately I found a, a partner who needed help. And also I, I didn't have much to bring to the table at that point in terms of experience experience aside from my professional career, but I'm like, look, I can help structure a deal. If you need additional bandwidth, I've got you know the right level of presence with investors. I, I feel confident I could do that. I could help raise capital. I could help you you know, get the deal over the finish line. I, I'll do paperwork. I don't care. I'll sweep the floors the first deal. And that's exactly what happened. Why not work my way into a, a decent percentage of the GP, which by you know maybe by chance or just by brute force and sheer will from there, after getting over that first hump and closing that property out, which is very nerve wracking the first time, the second time is like 50% easier the third time is maybe 50% easier than fourth and fifth, you know, so forth. So that's how it spiraled, man. It wasn't about like hitting, you know, hundreds or thousands of units. It was just about getting momentum and keeping your foot down the gas and doing that year over year, month over month. So that first person that you met, is that somebody that you've done multiple deals with now? I have. Yes. Okay. And was this just somebody that you met at like a meetup or where did you meet this person? Yeah. I'm trying to think. It was MFIN conference. It was multifamily investor nation. In North Carolina? It was a virtual one at this point. This was the mid of COVID, but normally it would have been in person. This one, I, this was virtual for sure. So, but it was like, there's breakout rooms and you just make connections. And again, of the 15 people I met, there is one connection that worked out well. You know, that's, you got to keep flipping cards. I'm such a big believer in partnerships. I mean, the right partnerships there can, you know, partners, it's it's just like debt or leverage. I mean, it can be the most powerful tool and can be the most dangerous tool at the same time. And partners can be one of the most powerful leverage points for you in your business, but it could also be a huge downside. I mean, any sort of advice that you might give to your younger self about selecting partners? I mean, you know, you have these conversations, you're networking, you're like, oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Because, you know, more people are looking for partners and things like that. I mean, but what advice would you give yourself at that point in time now? about finding and selecting a partner? Oh, there's there's one glaring thing that stands out to me. And I would say, you know, you're always gonna be eager and excited. If you're like me, you're fired up, you wanna get it done and you're an action taker. I would say before you jump in and sign on to the GP and agree to be part of a team, as much as, as excited as you might be, one simple tip, ask for a reference for another GP they worked with in the past that's not on that current team. 
Because what you'll ask them things like, you know, it depends on your style, right? I'm big on collaboration and communication. Other partners just want to do as many deals as possible, right? They might be decent operators, but if they're going to leave you feeling frustrated where you don't have the right information to give to your investors, it's not going to be a good fit long-term. I've had both pros and I've had groups that I want to work with again and again and again, and groups that I'm like, okay, it's a one and done opportunity. You know, I'm glad it worked out. Let's move on. But there's there's some teams you're going to, you're going to gel with a lot more than others. So it's, it's, you know, number one, spend some time getting to know them first. Don't jump right into the deal. And two, I like... I really like the idea of asking for a, a reference from not another, maybe another LP as well, but also who's worked with them in the past. Do they show up to meetings on time? Like simple things like that. If you're, if you're punctual, like, you know, you and I are, we showed up early to this one. It's going to frustrate the heck out of you if they're not on the same level of attention to detail and communication styles. Right. So two big tips. I just, I said one really it's two is one was yes for references Two is just spend some time, you know, have coffee with them, have a beer with them, have dinner with them a few times. You know, maybe you'll meet the family. You get to know what their style is like and what their real core values are. They're really, really important going forward. That is a great tip. One other tip that I would add to that is have your spouse, you know, meet this person as well and just tell them what they're feeling. You know, what do you feel about this person? And, you know, because taking our sort of perspective out of the mix that, you know, our, our subconscious mind is looking to accomplish the goal, right? And it's like, I met this partner and like, let's go, let's make it happen. So we're looking for the good, but having sort of another vantage point and to say, yeah, I, I feel like this person's values are in line with what you're trying to do as well. I mean, is that something that you found value in as well? You know, it's funny you mentioned that uh, a couple of my, my wife's been out to meet several of my partners. There's some that she's like, oh my God, yeah, they're, they're, they're awesome. There's some that she's like, mm, maybe, you know, dial back a little bit here. And I trust her intuition. Like she's not, has nowhere near the subject matter now. She's getting to know more just through osmosis sitting around me, but, but I trust her intuition. That's a, that's a great tip. Actually. I want to steal that and uh, use it in my own uh, next interviews. Yeah. I mean, the, just the intuition is the, is the point though. It's like, yes, we want to understand, you know, intellectually what, you know, skill set do we both offer and bring to the table, you know, in terms of the strategy that we're trying to execute, what do you bring to the table? What do I bring to the table? How are we leveraging? each other's skill set so that we can go further faster or whatever, or we can go further, period. Absolutely. That's really the point of a partnership because, you know, you can go somewhere, you know, alone, but you can go much further with other people. And so that's the whole point. But the intuition piece, you know, beyond just the sort of conscious awareness of skill set and, you know, practicality, it's just a big difference. So you got to mix both of those things. But talk to me about your strategy now with Redline Equity. What are you guys focusing on in terms of your growth now in terms of the marketplace? Uh, what does your strategy actually look like? You know, it's funny. If you asked me the same question nine months ago, it might be a little bit different. I, I I do believe that to stay competitive in the market and to stay competitive as as industry trends change, you're gonna have to tweak your strategy from time to time, just like any Fortune 50, 500 company would do, right? So, in the beginning, it was all about value add, value add, thirty to three hundred unit multifamily, et cetera. Pivoting a little bit now, multifamily, as as you probably know, or you do know, I'm sure, uh, has become very, very competitive, and especially in the top 10, top 20 markets, right? So especially around when you apply current rate debt terms and everything else out there, it's a, literally a needle in a haystack. Still looking for those, but we found that there's, there is additional opportunity in the build to rent and new construction space in the same type of markets. And it's, a, it's still competitive, but the angle is a little bit different for, especially for investors who are okay with a little bit of deferral of cash flow. We're targeting a lot of newer development opportunities now as well. And then we may expand that in the future as time goes on throughout 
the other commercial property type uh, investments that are in the adjacent space, but really like apartment buildings still, whether it's existing value add. What we're finding is we can almost build a new construction property for not much more than a 20, 30 year old building today on a, on a per unit basis. So we've pivoted just a bit and expanding our search criteria, still like the same markets, really not, not deviating there, but like looking to expand our, our criteria to different, to newer asset classes as well. And in terms of those markets, where do you focus? Southeast U.S. primarily. So I, I do like a little bit of the Midwest, but primarily the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida are our primary markets. Got it. So you guys are looking for, I mean, obviously existing multifamily where it makes sense, which is, you know, sounds like fewer and far between in terms of the current market cycle where we're at and totally makes sense in terms of the competition and just all the different factors of that market and just compressed yields and, you know, search for safety. You know, there's just a lot of capital chasing those type of deals, especially in those markets. Now, in terms of the build to rent side or the new development side, are you guys looking for ground up development? development land parcels in, in those markets? You know, we've, we've actually looked at quite a few different opportunities. In some cases, the land's ready to go, zoning approved, et cetera. And they're just looking for someone to bring in investor capital and go, you know, it's, it is more, uh, more of a heavy lift, but also looking at raw land purchased directly from a broker or direct to owner. Uh, but looking at both scenarios right now. I love it. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. One thing I'd love to know in terms of sort of the build to rent side of things. I mean, are you doing short-term rentals on those? Are you doing a component of longer term where it's more of kind of a multifamily type of play, just in a different type of uh, structure or what type of mix are you looking at there? So in the markets we're in, there's not a ton. In fact, uh, like for example, Greenville, South Carolina doesn't do permit a lot of short-term rentals. So in that market specifically, we're not. And I also found that even in markets that do have a lot of short-term rentals, the financing element becomes very tricky with short-term rentals on, on the build to rent. So primarily for those reasons mentioned, these are all more long-term, you know, month to month or year to year leases. A lot have had success in, you know, vacation areas, you know, the Tampa, Florida, the Miamis of the world. They've had success doing that, but it comes with an inherent risk. And in this market, uh, getting uh, loans and debt on those properties has become increasingly challenging. Are your lenders basically restricting the percentage of units that can be short-term rentals or maybe saying, look, there's 0% or maybe up to 5% or something like that? 
All of the above. Yes. And not, not to mention they're wanting things like recourse debt, which I'm actually okay with, to be honest with you, you know, 40 to 50% loan to value, which makes it very hard to be profitable and all but the most extreme underwriting scenarios. You get it. Yeah, I do. Well, so one thing I do want to talk about is, you know, a couple of things would be kind of leveraging your background in IT into, you know, what skill sets that you've developed over the years that you are able to apply to being a real estate investor and adding value to other people as a, you know, as a general partner and so forth. I also want to talk about the balance as well, but let's, let's start with the leverage, leveraging sort of your skill set and your background experience in IT. How has that served you to grow as an investor as well? Yeah, there's some obvious things and probably not some not some not so obvious things. So I'll start with the obvious part of it, right? I'm really excited about being able to do things more efficiently and consume a whole lot of time for trivial tasks, for things like setting up investor pearls. I found that it's a very unique skill. A lot of operators out there are really good at talking to brokers, relationships, but they do not care about technology or they even know how to leverage it. So even bringing a trivial amount of that and things like workflow management, deal tracking software, set, helping set up CRM, just even in principle, is actually more unique than I thought it was. You know, project management skills I've learned over the years are really great for managing uh, and setting up and planning for construction management and, pro- and onboarding of a property and just kind of planning for the exits. The financial acumen I've built for managing tens of millions of dollars of budget through the day job is transferred over. The presentation skills for, you know, transfer over to setting up a webinar and the comfort with just talking to investors is the same as going raising money for a, a project I'm doing at work. There's tons of uh, parallels out there. And I don't think that a lot of people who are in my shoes who haven't made their, done their first deal yet, they're thinking, I don't have much to offer, but I'm here to tell you that you do. And it might, it might not be obvious right away. Like I mentioned the obvious and maybe not so obvious, but you may be used to running large meetings. You may be used to running, you know, large calls or, or, or you know, proposing a capital expenditure request for a project. That all, all those things translate to the multifamily world or the real estate world in general. So I'm here to tell you that you have more than you think if you really sit down an inventory and actually you start talking to operators where they have gaps or things that they don't like doing. You may be really good at. Great advice. I wanted to ask that question because, like you said, we all have experiences or you know a unique set of sort of background that lends itself well to a certain component of this business. And so understanding that, taking an inventory of that, but then also understanding, well, where do I have gaps in finding partners for that? So I wanted to go back. You were talking about workflow management, CRM, project management software. I mean, I can't let you go without talking about some particulars and things that you utilize in your business. So in terms of workflow management, project management, what what do you guys use? So we found a tool about a month back. We started, I'm going to give you a little background. We started a direct-to-seller campaign with a, a small group that we just, again, we just gelled, uh, met some some folks at a local meetup, and we're like, hey, you know what? Uh, we like these markets. We're, we're tired of getting you know banged around by brokers. Let's start let's start a campaign. And then it got into, we started tracking you by email. This is messy. It's, look, look, guys, let me go research a solution. We found a tool called Trello. And it's similar to like a Microsoft Teams or something like that, or a Microsoft Planner, I guess, more explicitly. And it's a very simple way to bucketize where you are in your lead process to assign actions, to do project management. It's really, really simple to, and easy to use. You can tag uh, you know, Excel files or OneDrive documents or Dropbox. It's, it's a really great way to organize a simple visual way to track you know, your six, seven stages of a deal or through a workflow, a workflow of tracking your leads, et cetera. So I, that's one tool that if you haven't seen it, there's a million others out there like it. 
I found this one was incredibly easy to use and set up. We were literally ready to go in 10 minutes. I love that. And the simplicity behind Trello in particular is it's actually a really interesting thought process because I'm asking you as a chief information officer, you know, a guy with tremendous IT background, and you're basically sharing with me one of the most simple tools out there. But, you know, at the end of the day, we don't have to overcomplicate this. So I love that share. What about CRM? I mean, what do you guys use for uh, your CRM? I'm not looking to give a commercial here for CRMs, but it is, you know, important and interesting to understand sort of tools so that, you know, folks can consider how they're utilizing them, their their own tools. I've tried out a few in the past years. I really like Active Campaign, and I know it's really popular. I'm part of a, a large mastermind group for capital raising and investor relations professionals, and uh, that seems to be most most of the number one tool of choice. Again, super intuitive. And it's funny, you go back to like, oh, Andrew must, the expectation in my job is Andrew must know everything about every tool, and that actually couldn't be further from reality. The higher you grow up in your professional technology career, the less you know about each individual project, because you need to know about engineering, project management, commercial, operations, supply chain. You need to know a little bit about everything, but you never get the chance to really go so deep. Like people will be in a meeting with the executives like, oh, Andrew, the microphone's not working in here. It's, I've never been in the room before. Like, hey, figure it out. And usually you can, but like, you know, the expectation is I, I don't, I'm not able to go deep in everything because you're managing large teams and lots of money and a lot of finances and talent. So the reality is, you know, it's the expectations there, but like you, you only have so much time to go deep in certain tools. So I like simplicity. My, my reason I come back to your comment, I look for things. I try to put myself in the shoes of another executive, right? Like what's the simplest way to get something done? I don't want to, you know, have to have them go through an engineering degree just to use something. I love simplicity and that's what I look for. That is a great soundbite. What is the simplest way to get this done? And, you know, ultimately, a lot of times we do tend to overcomplicate because we think that everything must be multi-dimensional, multi-steps and very complicated. But what is the simplest way I can get this done is an interesting question to ask yourself at any time. What's well, is counterintuitive for those like myself that have like the engineering technical background. You want to go for the most detailed, complex, you know, thinking you're the smartest guy in the room. But reality is everybody, everybody wants simple and values simplicity. That's right. So talk to me about balancing being a CIO. I mean, being very strategic, high level thought process in the medical space and also, you know, the founder of your, you know, real estate empire and continuing to grow that obviously as an investor. But talk to me about that balance. I mean, how does that work? Obviously, you got a family as well. You mentioned two kids, a wife, all this stuff. I mean, you got a lot on your plate. So talk to me about balance. So two main things come to mind, right? And it, it really comes down to, I'm reading a, the last few books I read have kind of emphasized how important these two things are. One is around just general discipline. And I'll get into the the facets of that, what's, what's so important to be behind it. And the second is consistency. It sounds so easy. It's simple, but not easy to execute on a regular basis. So I, I there's a couple of techniques that I use on a week to week basis. And I've talked about this many times. The first and foremost is time boxing, right? So there's a certain amount of hours I'm expected to devote to my team and commit to my team in the day job, typically between seven, four, seven to five, something like that during Monday to Friday. But that means that to get what you need to get done in real estate time, depending on what your roles are going to be, whether you're a deal finder, you're going to have to find and box out consistent times to get those things done. For example, for me, I'm, I'm an early riser. We talked about that before we kicked off the show. 5 to 7 a.m. typically is my grind time for organizing blogs, getting you know social media content out there, just to, you know getting educational content out there for my viewers, doing podcast prep, either guest or host. Those types of activities, I really like getting them done early. I know that if I wait until 7 or 8 p.m. at night, mentally and physically won't have the energy to get it done. So it's having discipline, have, being consistent about it. Even when you, there's a lot of days you don't feel like it, doesn't matter, get it done anyway. So there are two techniques, I'll call it, or two, I guess, facets that I that I found to be, when I, when I deviate from that, 
I can feel things dropping off. It's really, really simple, but consistency and discipline. And that, and that goes for physically too, right? If I'm not mentally and physically healthy, if I get my, if I miss a workout, I'm not myself, right? Totally agree. You know, it's funny because as I was asking you the question about balance, I'm almost kind of like, oh, I'm kicking myself because there really is no such thing as balance. I mean, you know, we're always out of balance. I mean, when you're talking about five to 7 a.m. and seven to four or seven to five, like you're out of balance in maybe a few categories at those times. But that's the focus is what's required. You know, what's the why behind what I'm doing right now instead of trying to multitask and do seven things at once or even two things at once? It's just not possible. You know, it's funny. Have you heard of David Goggins as an oh, author? Yeah. At, I mean, one of the most inspirational people to me, I wish I had you know, met him. Maybe I'll get to meet a chance to meet him someday in person. He was close to me a few weeks back. What I love about what his, if you haven't heard of him, check out his books. Uh, I just finished his last one, never finished. Phenomenal book. He talks about to be successful, to be at the top of your game, you will need to be imbalanced for a period of time. And I'm okay. I'm okay with that. It, to me, it's it's a balance over the longer haul, right? Like if you've got family relationships and health, that has to be at the top, right? But there's going to be a time you're going to be putting in 60, 70, 80 hours a week build your empire, whatever it is, to be really good at your craft. Whether you want to be CEO, you want to run an ice cream shop, you're going to have to grind. And there's, there's really no exceptions behind that, right? But it's really being thoughtful about where you spend your time, recognizing when you've hit your limits and pulling back at that point. But there's going to be times when you are imbalanced. Otherwise, you will never get to that one to two percent where you want to be man that's really good we'll put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find that book i've not checked that one out yet but i've heard a lot of good stuff about it man but you know one of the things that david goggins is really a big proponent of is mindset beliefs identity and you know he really transformed his identity from you know being broke and you know unhealthy to you know a navy seal uh one of the most fit individuals one of the most influential individuals from mental toughness perspective and i'd love to know from like your perspective as well i mean what has been critical for you in terms of just mindset or beliefs over the past few years as you've transformed not only from being sort of a single family real estate investor to scaling is there anything that's been critical for you in terms of maybe shifting or working through or breaking through from a mindset perspective there's a couple of things that come to mind, right? I, I will be the first to tell you I started with that massive imposter syndrome, right? And that leads to inaction over inaction over inaction. A couple of things that come to mind, you know, first and foremost, for me, and this this may not be the same for everybody, being physically in shape leaves like being physically exhausted from a really hard workout really frees my mind to be mentally refreshed, right? I feel like that, I mean, that goes a long way. It goes more than you think. Again, back to being consistent, doing that on a regular basis allows you to keep thinking and thinking and thinking. Second is getting time to spend with yourself to reflect, kind of pivot on what you need to adjust and change on a regular basis. So I, I like to take the dog for walks, either with my wife or by myself sometimes. I think everybody benefits from, whether I'm even on a plane for a couple of hours traveling to work, that time to self-reflect is so important to really think about what you need to adjust and go forward. It's all about making adjustments and, and just moving more, more, taking more action and moving forward. But it's not just about taking action over action. It's about taking action, staying fit, having the time to reflect and adjust and constantly making those adjustments. If you're not going to make the adjustments, you're never going to get better. I think the um, one thing I wanted to just touch on was the imposter syndrome piece, because that's one that I hear a lot. You know, I'm not like those guys or I'm not like those people. You know, I, I don't have 20,000 units right now or, you know, I'm not worth $25 million or whatever right now. So you have this imposter syndrome that says, well, if I'm not them, then I can't. And you know, one thing that I heard a few years back, and it's really, really stuck with me regarding the imposter syndrome was that the imposter syndrome is generally a sign of a well-adjusted human being. 
and you know somebody who recognizes that you know what maybe I am not all of these amazing things and a lot of times what we're seeing from you know people's outward image is their ego saying like look at me look at me but it's really trying to protect their inner feelings of hey I'm not enough or I'm not worthy or all of these things and so recognizing that this imposter syndrome may be a sign of a well-adjusted human being and saying oh let me give myself permission to go out and try and fail and just because I feel like I don't belong well maybe that's something interesting to observe but still to take action anyway because you mentioned the imposter syndrome for you it began with inaction and so looking at that and saying well what could be the opposite of this what would be the opposite of you know well maybe I do belong maybe I am worthy of achieving these goals what do you think about that you know it's funny when you you know you start thinking about the, what you really want to do and what's and what's stopping you we got to realize that everybody else is you know the grant cardones of the world the really big names that are you know, a lot, they get a lot of airtime press. They all started from something with nothing, right? They all started in a similar position where they had limited education, limited relationships, limited financial acumen, et cetera. Everybody started from a similar place as we are. And you got to ask yourself, I love the phrase, why not you or why not me? And and really think about why is it that are these guys so elitely qualified Harvard backgrounds? No. They're not. They're people like you and I that just overcame their fear, right? Through maybe through education, a little bit of action and balancing it with, you know, filling their gaps with, with partnerships and relationships. That's it. I mean, and it's really just taking that first step, the second step, third step, keeping the steps moving, even in spite of failure. Again, back to the Goggins thing. There's nothing that gets in the guy's way. I mean, we'll never get to, we'll probably never get to that level, but just being able to apply 10, 20% of his mindset where it's like, I'm charging forward. I know I, I have a lot of shortcomings, but I'm willing to work to overcome those and just keep taking action and adjusting. That's, that's it, man. That's, that's the key. You know, one thing that I feel like is the basis of, you know, growth, uh, you know, in terms of utilizing mindset to the highest regard or understanding our own identity or our own inner dialogue to leveraging ourselves to more effective action or taking action, being willing to fail, being willing to adjust, being willing to learn is our relationship with fear. And you've mentioned that a few times in this episode, you know, as you scaled, you know, your practice from, you know, one at a time to many and bring in investors. The first experience was, you know, you encountered fear. The next time it was a little bit less. The next time it was a little bit less. And you've talked about this. I mean, if you were to look back, I mean, sort of any advice that you would give yourself in terms of dealing with fear or encountering fear and, and what that has really done for you? I found that it helped, and I didn't learn this until maybe the second or third deal, to really surround yourselves with people who are in this exact same shoes with you, as well as those who have done it before. Because I think even just talking about it out loud, like, oh my God, I got to run my first webinar. And then people are like, oh, I have to do the same thing. Hey, let's strategize on how we'll do it together. Maybe we do it. Maybe you actually do one together. So surrounding yourselves with people who are in the same position, talking through those challenges is way better than just doing nothing, sitting in your, in your desk and just shaking, right? Uh, I wish I had thought more along those lines than just like, I got to solve all this myself on day one, deal one, right? Right. You know, one thing is actually, um, I was at a Tony Robbins event, uh, Unleash the Power Within, and he does this thing at this event. He's been doing it for 25 years or more where he's literally dancing with someone and he's like throwing them around like crazy. Like he's, he's literally like going to throw them on the ground. He's extreme. Yeah. And he's, he's a monster. I mean, he's huge. And you know, these people are, you can either like be thrown on the ground or you can try to fight him and you can try to like throw him on the ground or you can just dance with it. And you know, when you dance with it, it's like, well, it actually starts to flow and like, he can't really throw you down. I've always thought about that visual to say, we're never going to get rid of fear. 
But if we are willing to dance with it and allow it to propel us into action, you know, that's one of the things. I mean, you know, most people are scared to do public speaking, as an example, like they're more terrified of doing public speaking than dying than death. Yeah, that's an engagement of fear. And so what does that do? I mean, for me, you know, I still get a little bit nervous if I'm going to give a talk or, you know, whatever, if I'm going to get up on stage, but it propels me into action. It propels me into preparation. It prepares me to get into a point where I'm thinking about my audience so I can think of, well, what sort of questions might they have or what sort of dangers might they have or strengths or opportunities? And when I think about that, when I look at fear as a leverage point and something that's actually serving me, then I can have a much better relationship with it. And what I've recognized, I don't know about you, Andrew is that the other side of fear is really where it all happens. That's where the dreams start to happen. And that's where we start to live this more life of fulfillment as well. Another thought that comes to mind too, like you really want to separate yourself from others, whether you want to be part of the 1% club or not, you got to do what the 1% are willing to do and the 99% are willing to, do, to not do. And I've always found that once you've overcome a fear, if you look back on those times, how excited you were to get over that hump, right? And I try to build momentum. Like every time I hit another obstacle where I over, you, get, you never get rid of it. But every time I look back on the last time I did something similar, maybe at a smaller scale, how great it felt to overcome that. I kind of play off of that each and every, every each and every attempt, I'll say. Yeah. And, and the more that you prove to yourself that the fear is more so the thought of the event rather than the actual event, then everything changes. It really is. And it's just, you're strengthening a muscle. I mean, it's just like, you know, a physical workout. And so, you know, maybe it's a call out for the entire audience today to say, you know what, what how are we, what's our relationship with fear look like? Because man, on the other side of that can be our entire dreams, our entire set of dreams. So this is great, man. Andrew, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. It's uncommon to have this type of relationship with fear, but hopefully this conversation is making it a little bit more common. So let's talk about a few things. I've got a few questions for you before I let you go today. Sure. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? You know, I got I got to start with the one we talked about earlier. So David Goggins, Navy SEAL, extraordinary individual in general. He's got he has two out there now. One is Can't Hurt Me, which is his first one and Never Finished is the second one. Really, really, really good. I, I guess I'll, I'll move down the list. Rich Dad Poor Dad is, is frequently mentioned by most real estate investors. That was a great one to me. I don't know it would make the top three. I like a lot of the, uh, maybe it's more of an author because I read I read a lot of books, right? So another one, uh, Ryan Halliday has done The Obstacle is the Way, Daily Stoic, really, really great for overcoming adversity. And there's if you're going through a difficult time or you're just struggling with something, really great to just think through that stoic philosophy and mindset, et cetera, and put you through, uh, getting you over the hump in a very logical and unemotional way. Another one that stands out, limited to this, I promise, is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. So in every aspect of life, we all negotiate whether we know it or not. Hugely, hugely helpful in ways that you couldn't imagine from buying a car to negotiating a raise or a salary increase to selling a deal uh, to you know investors or something like that. So they're probably in my top, those buckets of books, because they're authors really more than anything, except for the third one, uh, are my top. I couldn't agree more. And I think that Never Split the Difference should be required reading for every single investor and maybe every single human being to a certain regard. I honestly think every single human being, whether it's a college course, high school course, just daily you know, educational stuff, absolutely required. That was a game changer for me in terms of negotiation as well. And uh, one that I would add to that, that I read a few years before that, which is almost the other side of negotiation is getting to yes. It's the Harvard Negotiation Project. So those two books 
are an absolute masterclass in negotiation and never split the difference comes down to human emotions and getting to yes is sort of the practical side of things. So if you really want to, you know, a deep dive in a masterclass and becoming one of the world's greatest negotiators, it's about studying those books and applying those and refining that over a decade plus and becoming great at it. I agree. The practice is most important, right? So it might take multiple repetitions for me. I've done the audible version. I've done the Kindle version. I haven't done the masterclass, but you, you got to keep doing it. That's all. I totally agree. We'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find those books. So thank you so much for sharing that. Aside from what we've already talked about today, Andrew, what is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? To me, it's a, it's, I try, it's, again, it comes back to consistency. If I track trifecta, it's physical exhaustion and exercise. It's mental exercise and daily education, whether it's a minimum of 20, 30 minutes a day. And it's spiritual for me, right? I grew up, I'm Catholic and I believe in consistency and practicing every week. And that's a big part of my life. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Leading by example. To me, it's just, again, first it starts with being the best version of myself because I need to show up for my team and my peers and my partners every day, the best version and just setting a great example, whether it's passion and energy and education, that's the best way to do it, man. I just lead by example. Andrew, this has been a lot of fun, man. I want to acknowledge you going back to the days of house hacking, you know, really, truly just taking action to say, you know what, I can offset some of my expenses, you know, by having another resident or tenant in my building and, you know, going Going all the way to what you've done now. I mean, dealing with that imposter syndrome, dealing with a bit of fear, balancing a lot of responsibilities, man, not very many people are willing to engage in that type of consistency, that type of routine, but that type of, you know, really facing your fears and facing sort of those inner dialogue, that inner dialogue that really wants to hold you back and really wants to steal those dreams. I want to acknowledge you, man. This has been a lot of fun to have this conversation. Do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? I appreciate that. I'll just end with, I'm a work in progress like anybody else, right? I'm on a journey and it's a never ending journey to improve, right? I'll never reach a final destination. It's way more about the journey and there's, it's never too late to get started and keep going. A lot of good stuff, man. The, the discipline in that continued journey is something that is remarkable and something that we can all take away from this conversation. A lot to learn from our conversation today. But man, Andrew, thanks again for being on the show. Tell the listeners where they can find you and learn more about what you do. Single easiest way is through our website. It's investwithredline.com. We've got blogs in there. We've got podcasts. We've got newsletters. We've got a free learning series. Got my email through there. So it's investwithredline.com. Really simple. Outstanding, my friend. We'll put that link in the show notes as well. Andrew, until next time, thanks again for being on Elevate. Thanks, man. Pleasure's all mine. Elevate Nation, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrew Shutsky as much as I did on this Friday morning vibe. I know you may be listening to this this on any other day, but bring that Friday morning energy to whatever day it is that you are finding yourself in today. But I just want to thank you again for listening to today's show. I want to encourage you to re-listen to today's show. There may be something that you missed. And by the way, you can learn twice as much when you listen another time through. And I want to encourage you to identify your top three distinctions or takeaways. What was the biggest thing that really struck you? What was something that surprised you? What was something that said, you know, maybe I could improve this in my business, or maybe I can improve the way that I engage with fear or the imposter syndrome. I mean, that was one of my biggest takeaways was how Andrew has really overcome the imposter syndrome. And I think that there's a lot to be said about that. You know, you can really pat yourself on the back by saying, you know what, I'm not this egomaniac that just believes immediately that I'm better than everyone else, or, you know, I am what all of these other egos say that they are. So, you know, we can pat ourselves on the back 
And then we can say, wait a minute, but is this really serving me for me to feel like I'm not worthy of taking the necessary action to go towards my goals or my dreams? And, you know, once you we recognize that, we can have a better relationship with that type of dialogue. And we can say, you know what? I am worthy and I will learn and I will grow. And everyone started somewhere. Everyone started, you know, at one time and they, everyone had their first deal, their second deal, the third deal. You know, no matter where you are in your journey, you may experience this feeling of imposter syndrome. You may be 25 years down the road with a billion dollar real estate portfolio and you might be like, well, I'm not Blackstone, I'm not BlackRock, you know, and you have this imposter syndrome. So this is something we're gonna continue to deal with. That was one of my biggest distinctions from today's episode. What were yours? And I wanna encourage you to identify those distinctions and share those with a friend, have a discussion with someone else about something that you learned about yourself. How is this going to change the way that you think? How is this going to change the way that you behave? How is this going to change the way that you network or build relationships or negotiate? Today's episode is very valuable. And I think I really enjoyed this a lot. So I hope you did as well. But most importantly, at the end of the day, you know, information is only potential power. The real power is in taking massive action and integrating what we talked about today into your day-to-day actions and behavior. So ultimately, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I want to thank you again for listening. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.